This is Danny Caligiuri. Hello from Gelsenkirchen to all the Schalke Americans. Blau und weiß sein Leben lang. Hallo meine Leute, wie geht's? Willkommen zum Das Einziger Schalker Podcast auf Englisch. That's right, folks. Officially the only world-speaking, English-speaking podcast worldwide. Great start. This is Schalke America, episode 97. Schalke fans are some of the greatest fans in the world, many of whom speak English. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues, talk to the English-speaking fans of the club, and get their point of view across. As always, joining me on this season review, Jack Mangan. Jack, how we doing? That's why we can't take uh, any breaks a couple weeks off. That that intro is all muscle memory, man. You just got to like, you know, do it week in, week out to get it down constantly. And at my age, the memory isn't there all the time. So <laughs> even when I'm reading stuff, I still miss things out. So when we, when we came back from the restart, it took me like three episodes to remember my Twitter handle, too. So we, uh, we you couldn't spell your name that. for a couple of weeks. That yeah. was interesting. Yeah. That was interesting. So um, we know that we can't do this alone. Uh, it's a season review. A lot of stuff to get into. A lot of some good, a lot of bad, a lot of ugly. Uh, so we we thought we'd bring in a, a a guest that's been on here many many times. Uh, I don't even know how many caps she's on right now, Jack. But let's welcome in Marie Shubo. Marie, how you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me on. Nice to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, nice to see. We can actually all see each other now for once. It's uh it's different. It's we're doing a podcast. We're doing it live, and we got some. We got some. You know, uh, hopefully we get some live interaction here with the guests. But uh, yeah, we got a lot to get into uh, this week. But first off, how have you been? I've been good. I'm actually um, currently in Germany, so tuning in from Zöld, which is an island in the North Sea, if anyone's familiar with it, close to Denmark. And that's why I've got this maritime um, picture behind me of a sailing boat. And yeah, so I'm surrounded by royal blue, basically, royal blue landscapes. Nice, nice. Uh, casual, casual. Just Marie just joining us from an island, you know. You know. <laughs> yeah. Living the high life. <laughs> Very good, very good. And Jack, how have you been during this uh, little break here? <clears throat> I've been all right. It's been nice to not think about Schalke-related topics for you know a week or so, um, a couple weeks yeah. at least. Get a get a break from that because uh, it seems that the last couple of years when we've reached this point in the calendar, it hasn't been uh, the best of times for us. Yeah, we had to take uh, almost a month off just to reflect because a lot of stuff happened. Um, I don't even know where to begin, and a lot of stuff's happened since you know the break's been uh, been over. Um, let me get into some quick news that, that's happened since uh, since we, the season ended, really. Uh, we signed another American to the uh, Canapin Shemita, Evan Rotondo. Uh, I've been chatting with his dad on on uh, Instagram. So he welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. Um, some other news that came up. Uh, supervisory board agreed on new division of executive responsibilities. Uh, at a closed meeting on Friday, July 10th, Schalke Supervisory Board decided a new division of responsibility among club executives and held internal committee votes. So. Um, there was a, a Tricot Gate or a Jersey Gate or Kit Gate, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, Robbie Matondo, uh, he decided to wear a Jaden Sancho jersey during a workout, and uh, Schalke Twitter blew up. Um, even even like the executive Joker Schneider went after uh, Robbie Matondo. You, we saw a bunch of uh, ex Schalke players like um, Naldo and uh, who I forgot who else was Benito Covides maybe. Uh, they just they were like, "What the heck are you doing, buddy?" But Uh, that all, after all that, you know, came out, um, Robbie Matano came out and he had this long, 
uh, apology on Instagram, and we can get into that whether we think that was worth it, worthy of it or not. Um, but that was certainly interesting. Um, speaking on that, uh, because of all that stuff, Matondo decided to donate a five-figure amount to a charitable institution where he also worked personally for a few hours, uh, just trying to make amends with the Shaka faithful. Um, many of our beloved uh, Shaka stars are on the market, so to speak, or at least you know many teams are trying to inquire about them. Um, we've made inquiries into uh, the the Freiburg keeper, uh, so we can get into a little bit later. Um, Steven Skripsky looks like he's staying at Schalke because uh, Dusseldorf doesn't want to pay the $1.9 million option. Uh, Chan Bazduan is a hot commodity at the moment. Uh, and it's good to see Burke Seller and Salif Sane back in training. And then some, we have a bunch of other rumors. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it was a crazy season. So let me just comment on that real quick. A couple of things that you just mentioned of, yeah. of that list. Is it is it just me or did Schalke respond quicker to the Robbie Matondo situation than they did to the Clemens attorney's comments all the way back in bit. August, like it a seemed like bit. they were all over this, and you know, Matano issued a public statement. There's community service, like a fine or whatever was going on, and it, it seemed like that happened in the in the course of a matter of days, as opposed to the the non punishment of Tony's just disappearing for three months, and the club, at least in my opinion, not taking nearly as strong of a stance as they should have. I just thought that was not not the best look. But you and, know, and you're you not the only one who saw that, uh, Marie. What was your take on that? That Schalke reacted so quickly with Robbie Matando as opposed to you know, uh, the former chairman when he made his comments? Well, I, I wouldn't even go so far as to compare the two because I think we're dealing with two different things. And even yeah. even putting them in comparison to each other, I think is unfair to Matondo because it's basically on the one end, you've got this rivalry little stick thing comparing that to like racism in professional football to me is unfair to Matondo to even like put them in the same sentence. Yeah. But I do think that, this is a guy, I just felt really bad for him because he he sent this like really heartfelt apology. And I just think it, it the whole thing stank, I think. I, I think it stinks that he was criticized publicly. He's 19, he's living in a foreign country, you know, and he was criticized publicly by the sporting director who I think used this as an opportunity to like try and get in with the ultras or whatever. And I mean, again, we live in this echo chamber that is Twitter, but from what I garnered on there, people weren't even that bothered, at least the majority weren't, and everyone kind of laughed it off and was like, okay, they're mates, whatever. Uh, if anything, yeah. the Dortmund fans, of course, thought this was hilarious. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that Schalke fans were like, you know, going wild about this uh, in a negative sense. So yeah. I, I don't know, I think the whole thing, again, was us kind of bringing that negative press onto ourselves. And uh, it really... I think by issuing a public statement and then the punishment, it just drew attention onto it. And it could have been an absolute non-story in my opinion, but then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It could have been a quick one day thing, you know, where people, people instant react and that's it, but it got blown out way out of proportion, Jack. Uh, I know you try to hold back and commenting, but uh, it was, uh, I tried to stay place. away from it for the most part on Twitter, just because I, I woke up one morning and it was all over the place. And I'm like, I have no I'm going back to bed. energy in, in, in talk. Like, the kid, yeah, as as Marie said, he's in a foreign country. He he's friends with Jaden Sancho. That was a private training session that he wasn't aware was going to be photographed or you know published. Was it a smart move? No, it's not a smart move to wear the jersey of your rival. But I mean, in terms of this, this is not. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it was that big of a deal. I don't think it was something that he intended to have go public. You know, he was in a, in a private session wearing you know the, the jersey of a player he respects and a friend of his. So, um, yeah, definitely not a big deal for sure. 
Yeah, by all accounts, they're they're best mates too. So I mean, yeah, part of it is you know being naive and not knowing, but uh, yeah, it, it became a it became a story when it really shouldn't have been, and unfortunately for him and for us because we've been in the news already. And like Jack, you said, they reacted a little too quick on this as opposed to other things that they probably should have you know reacted quicker uh, in terms of uh, just how the whole thing goes. So anyway, um, that just encapsulates the whole season, right? I mean, the whole season was just uh, ridiculous. I mean, we started out well. The season started out well. Uh, we drew, we drew uh, Munchen Gladbach, lost to Bayern, and then we went on a win streak and got really hot. And we ended up, and we ended the the Henrunda with uh, or the beginning of the season, good shape. We were like fighting. We were in, a, we were in, a, in a, I think fifth or fourth spot at the moment at that time. Um, we were looking pretty good. I mean, we were playing attractive football. Everything we were hoping that we would get out of David Wagner, it happened. Um, I don't think we could have been happier with that result in the first half of the season, Marie. Um, I'm sure you felt the same way, and then you got to see it from 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 Munchen. Um, tell us what you thought about the first half of the season. Yeah, I think better than all of us had hoped, to be honest. I think people sometimes, because the last, um, you know, since January, it's been so bad that we forget that last year, the second half of the season was also terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just like, yeah. okay, well, we've already gotten over that in our memory or in, in some ways that has even, but you know, you know, remember those seven zero against city and then Tedesco leaving and uh, you know that yeah. was us thinking we might get relegated, you know, that was only a year ago as well. So yeah. I think after that, everyone expected things to get um, a little bit better, but weren't exactly hoping for Europe. And then over the winter break, suddenly there was discussion of like Champions League football. And I think one player who kind of encapsulated that return to good form and also to an attractive playing style in the first half of the season for me was John Joe Kenny. Cause he was, he was so English in the sense that he, he was a very physical player who put in the effort and ran down the wing and had some, some good passes and everything. And he wasn't wonderfully skillful. You know, we would, we would yeah. think that like maybe someone like Suatziada or Amin Arid would be more representative of that new football, but they weren't, you know, those guys really stuck out in a positive manner and of course, we really felt their absence when they weren't there. But I think John Joe Kenny, to me, really showed that positive Wagner football that we saw early on in the season. And um, he quickly became kind of a fan favorite, scored um, two really nice goals. And um, yeah, I think it's really been a tale of um, of two halves, hasn't it, this season in many ways? I think you mentioning just now that you know, in the winter pause where there being discussions of possible Champions League football really drives home the point of 2019 was a long time ago, wasn't it? I mean, it really feels like that was... <laughs> this has been the worst year ever. <laughs> a lifetime ago and, and not just, you know, a matter of months. Um, I, I thought it was interesting in that David Wagner's first season was kind of like a condensed version of Tedesco's two seasons. Yeah. Um, with the yeah. first half being very much like the first season, the second half, everything just completely falling apart. Um, and, you know, despite how horrific that second half was I, I do think to marie's point that people have a little bit of a short memory in terms of the stuff you see obviously twitter is not representative and a lot of that is you know people just having banter and stuff on and fun online but the number of people that are like you know bring tedesco back and it, i mean it, in terms of the results like the actual like points that we earned yeah you can make the argument that wagner's second half was worse but i think in terms of the performances there were some far worse performances under tedesco where we just looked you know, w without any sense of direction on either side of the ball. I mean, I'm talking about like the, the, I forget what the actual score lines were, but like the three and four nils to like Dusseldorf and bad teams, like, you know, in, in the midst of that prior to Herb Stevens getting hired on. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a wild season. And it kind of leaves us, 
in this limbo state heading into the summer where we're not exactly sure what the squad's going to look like. We're not exactly sure if, if Wagner's the man to, to play with that, because, you know, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, the thing he kept saying towards the end of the season was, um, you know, give me, give me better players and we'll get better results kind of, or at least that that's kind of the message. I, you know, some of the injuries and those sort of things that were going on, he's like, I just don't have what I need. And, and from my perspective, it doesn't seem likely that that's going to change going into the fall. I don't, I don't think the squad building that we're going to be able to accomplish is going to change that scenario significantly. So if he's making the case that like, you know, I need these players to get the results, then he's basically making his own argument for why he shouldn't be the manager of the club any longer, because he's not going to get that. Um, now I'm not saying that I, that I, think that he should leave necessarily but um yeah i, I really i really don't know what the answer is because this offseason for me has been one of trying to say you know who could we bring in that's going to be better like what's what's a realistic candidate and then also trying to square that with the second half of the season that we just had which i think for a club of Schalke's standards is unacceptable and to retain your manager in that situation i just think just sends sends a bad message in terms of what your aims are and what what you what you allow and like what your what your standards are internally. And I think you said it where we're not going to be spending any kind of money. I mean, unless we sell players, we're not going to be spending any money. And uh, we're really going to be looking at the Kanapa Schmida and, and loan opportunities to, to build a squad. And, you know, if we're listening to what he says, there's no way we're going to build a team to his capabilities uh, with that. So uh, he's basically, you know, shooting himself in the foot with that. And, you know, I mean, he, he had to have known, especially as the, as the restart happened, that, we were in such dire financial situation. I mean, it was public. They, the, the, the supervisory board made it public that we were struggling financially. Uh, so those comments, I think, were a little bit ill-fated. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, we'll give the guy a chance. I mean, I, I, I certainly want to give him a chance because we saw a glimmer of that in the first half. But uh, that second half, I, I, I still don't know what happened. I mean, we, we came out the gates great against Gladbach, one 2 nothing, And then we hit a gauntlet and never recovered. I, Marie, I mean, we've had some time now since the end of the season. Can you make – can you make – any headings on how, where it went wrong, what went wrong? I mean, it's it's still mind-boggling considering the form we were in going into that. Yeah, I think I think honestly the the Leipzig and the Bayern games in some way were kind of the point where everything broke down. And there, I do wonder what the dressing room is like and what was said to the players because realistically, those are games where, as Schalke in its current state, maybe five five years ago it would have been different. Right. But you know, you expect to lose those games, and yeah, okay, it hurts to get more goals than to concede more goals than you would have hoped for. Um, but you do expect to lose those games. And I wonder if, you know, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but it's a young, it's a very, very young squad. I think it was the second youngest squad this season after Leipzig. Mm. And uh, you do, you know, I have to criticize that um, in the media, David Wagner, to me, it shows personal weakness as a coach to publicly criticize certain individual players um, of that age you know who hasn't he criticized he publicly criticized Juan Miranda uh, Jean-Claire Turibaud um, Kutuchu and if you always pick at these players the players don't forget that and you know if, if you make a, a mistake an individual error which causes a goal you know most of all that you made that mistake you don't you know if especially if you make it in front of fans or in front of a television audience also, of course, Schubert, you know, why why was it necessary to criticize Schubert? You know, he, it's not his fault that he was caused to be in goal. And honestly, even Wagner, that was also an opportunity missed. He could have just protected Nubel and been like, you know what, this is our goalkeeper. Um, but he he caused that 
whole, whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That whole, and now Schubert is basically banished and, and burnt for life. And now they're talking about like lending him out, loaning him out. And it was just too much. And I think if anything, I would criticize Wagner because it's not his fault uh, that we had all these injury problems. Um, if anything, I would criticize him for not shielding the pressure from, from this young team enough. Yeah, Jack, uh, you and I talked uh, at depth about how poor it was for Wagner you know, to make those statements at the goalkeeper position, first about Schubert, then about Nubel. I mean, he just screwed up the whole thing, and I think it just ruined the confidence of both players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we <laughs> that's been a major talking point in the second half of the season for us, for sure. And I think that that Bayern game that Marie mentioned was right at sort of the because I believe that's Schubert started that game, right? That was right yeah. when that switch had taken place. Yeah, it ends up being a five nil loss uh, to Bayern, in which you know he, he Schubert made a, you know a couple mistakes in that game, but defensively there were issues as well. Oh, yeah. I, I just. To make that move at that point in time to me is not putting him in a position to succeed. I don't know why you put him in for the Bayern game specifically. What, like, what are you going to accomplish with that? That seems like the worst possible time to, unless unless you really believe in you know throwing somebody right into the fire is the best way to get. I mean, but yeah, to me, Schubert was just kind of put into a lose lose situation. And Jack, just to interrupt that, I think yeah. that was the last game where he was still had to play because Nubel had that five five oh, game. Yeah, right. yeah, it could have been. Okay, yeah. and then um, in and. You know, he stayed in, like, after he had made those games against Bayern. And there, I agree with you. Wagner should have just said, you know, well done, Schubert. Thanks for thanks for playing. You, you, know, you had some nice saves and you presented yourself well. And now Nubel is going to be back. And then... Yeah, ugh. so the, the problem, and correct me if I'm wrong here in my, in my recollection of this, the problem was it seemed like he committed to Schubert after he put him in and basically said like Schubert's going to be the guy and I, and I think he should have never issued that guarantee to begin with. Yeah. Like yeah. put him in, see how it goes. If Schubert right. plays really well, then there really is no reason to put Nubel back in cuz he's leaving anyway and, and you're trying to develop this goalkeeper. If it goes poorly, you can make the change, but once you publicly have that show of support, then it just looks like you have no idea what you're doing. And yeah. flip-flopping back and forth and putting Nubel I mean Nubel back in that, that just ruins Schubert's confidence and like yeah, that's what I was talking about is I just don't think he was put in his position to succeed and the expectations seemed to be changing almost week to week in terms of you know what they were looking for and who they were trying to commit to. Um I also yeah. think Nubel should have never had the captain's armband because yeah, right. by yeah. taking that from him, it was blindingly obvious for everyone, including both goalkeepers, that he only got the captain's armband to stay. It's, it's the same thing as the Goretzka situation. We, we keep yep. holding out the captain's armband as this this carrot for players <laughs> to want to remain invested with the club, and it just it cheapens the entire notion of the captaincy to begin yeah. with. If you're yeah. using it as like a bargaining piece, and um, it's also not effective because now we've seen it in successive seasons not work. So can we stop doing that, please, and actually give it to somebody who's who's committed to the club and is a better representative um, <laughs> for the team? Wow. Uh, the, and no one in their early 20s has business wearing the captain's armband. I mean, just picture yourself. We've all played in teams before. Imagine some young kid, you know, you've been at the club many years or you're very devoted to the club. Um, guys like Kalijuri, for example, who are very devoted to Schalke, they've got to be like la like pissing themselves. Like, why should I listen to this like yeah. young guy who's had maybe like 18 Bundesliga games and now he's the captain because... The guys at the top want him to stay, and it's just yeah. it's just so bizarre. It wasn't even that too. It's also that he's making public comments before he's committed to Byron while he's wearing the captain's armband that seemed to be very dismissive of the entire Schalke project in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Which also it's it's one thing if he's just keeping his head down and being quiet about it while he's mulling over his contract situation. Um, yeah. but yeah, it just seemed like whenever he, he 
he almost like enjoyed the attention to some extent and was just kind of like, yeah, well, you don't know, uh, Schalke maybe, I don't know. But like, it's just, that, that to me is just such a, a bad look for the captain of your club. I think the only time I've seen that ever work with a youngster is Matthias De Ligt when he was at Ajax. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a young squad there, so they could, could get away with it. And he was really good. And apparently in the locker room, he was amazing. Uh, so that's the only time I've ever seen it work with a youngster. But for the most part, yeah. I mean, the old the veterans are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, Stambouli or Kalajiri would have been perfect for that. Mascarello, I thought, was a decent decision. Um, it seems like they really like him. They play better with him there. But, you know, Stambouli, Stambouli and Kalajiri are certainly guys who've been there for a long time. And they probably have better, the ear of the locker room more than uh, Anubal or anybody else young. So, yeah. I, I, I was, really like last season, I was in the Veltins Arena for one game in the DFB Pokal, so in the German Cup. And it was right. the Schalke against Werder Bremen match when it was one of Tedesco's last matches, I believe. And they lost 2-0 and Rashica was really good. And I was um, in the second half, I was behind Nübel. And you could tell that even then there was something wrong between him and the team because, you know, there was just this tension and they kind of turned around a lot and were like, what are you doing? And he seemed really unsure. And then a few months after to make him the captain, it's just it's just so unwise. You know, you've got to make someone the captain who has the confidence of the team. And it's just that just really bothered me all season. And kind of what Jack was saying, that it was unwise to have him always speak for the team in the media. And it just made Schalke look ridiculous that he was like, oh, this is an interesting project, but I haven't decided yet. But the club knew that in Germany, it's required by Sky, by the TV rights, that in every match, the captain has to speak to the media. And to know that going into the season, that they would ask him every week if he's going to extend his contract, it just seems like they've kind of left him out in the cold. Um, And, you know, the team should have, I mean, the response, like the responsible party should have foreseen that that would be the case and protected him as well. Yeah. Yeah, And when he got put into the number one goalkeeper position, um, you know, mid mid last season, that was only by virtue of the mistakes that Fairman was making in the first place. And, and when Nubel came in, he was shaky as well then. Yeah. So it's not as if he came in, put in, you know, a half a season of absolutely sterling performances and goal, and then was rewarded with the captaincy after that for demonstrating so many leadership qualities and, and demonstrating, you know, a high performance on the pitch. That wasn't even the case. Uh, he wasn't, I mean, he was he was fine and he had some good games, but he wasn't thoroughly convincing last season either. So um, even on the backs of a performance argument, I don't think I don't think that move was justified. Yeah, and it seems like uh, since we're talking about Ferriman and we're talking about all the goalie situation, uh, it seems like uh, Shaka are trying to move on from this to an extent. Uh, it sounds like they will complete the transfer of Alexander Shvolov uh, early next week. Uh, the signing could lead to the departure of Ferriman, who's on a wage of three and a half million, which would make sense with the the plan that uh, they they came out with uh, uh, during the, the Jens Bukta um, hiring or confir- confirmation there. And then uh, they may uh, may may loan out Schubert as well to get pitch time. So, Marie, this is where I need this is where I need your help. So help me understand why this eight million dollar transfer fee that's being talked about, even if it is ultimately paid in installments. Installments, yes. Please help me understand why this is the best use of the limited funding that we have to improve the team. Do <laughs> am I wrong? No, because I, I I'm fully ready to admit that I'm wrong. Do you think the signing of this particular goalkeeper is going to improve the team so much that's the best use of our funds? It's an interesting question because I, I obviously don't, I mean, if we're honest, it's not like we all watch Swallow every weekend and know a lot about this. Exactly. Guy. <laughs> right? his, own coach, his own coaches don't either. <laughs> <laughs> he's got really good statistics among the Bundesliga's best. And he's seen as this like consistent guy who had the opportunity to leave Freiburg earlier. Um, you know, 
he he had some other clubs interested in him in the past. Also, of course, interest from Sevilla and Villarreal in the past. So he's a decent goalkeeper and he was very well liked at Freiburg. But that's it. This isn't, it's not like we're signing like the world keeper of the year or something. And I think it's something, something about the psyche of the club that, you know, in the past 10 years, there have been times where we had goalkeeper issues and it was always awful because the fans hate it when we have a weak goalkeeper and they make the goalie feel that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember the era of like Lars Unastal and Timo Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And this, like, since January, this reminds me of that, of, like, two goalkeepers that the fans are not comfortable with. And thank God, I mean, think everything that happened since Corona, thank God there were no fans in the stadium. Because yeah. we would oh have gosh. been even worse, I think. And right now, a lot of players would be on their way out because we would have had all those chance of, like, you can all leave except... Well, it used to be you can all leave except Fairman, but this this time they would have just said you can all leave. And Wagner too, Wagner too, probably. Yeah, Wagner, I mean, the fans would have demanded that Wagner goes and there was no, there would have been nothing that the club could have done. Let's be honest. I mean, it, there's no way Wagner would still be coach if we would have had home games in front of 60,000 plus fans. It just wouldn't have, have been feasible. So I think the goalkeeper situation, I think it's more a preemptive strike because they don't want another situation and the thing is they, I think they just want to go into the season with a clear number one and it's obvious to me that if Swallow comes for that amount of money he would be the clear number one um, it's just yeah. bad for Fairman and Schubert but I guess that's professional football sometimes you can't be very nice to players and I, I don't know what would happen to Fairman because I do think he likes the club enough and obviously he likes his wage enough. It's not like another club could offer him that amount of money right now. Yeah. I do think he would be happy sitting on the bench, but Schubert shouldn't. And it's not like he's presented himself so well that like mm -hmm. a good second Bundesliga team would be like, he's going to be our number one. Right. So I, I only see him going to like the Belgian or Dutch league or something like that. Um, yeah. Interesting. I think yeah, it's interesting this decision to go for a goalkeeper, Jack, like you said, with this $8 million. Uh, Wagner made his whole portrayal about, you know, really all the injuries we had defensively, this is really the reason we struggled. And, and uh, Jack and I were talking about this, and I think it may have been Aiden or, or Abel. Somebody was presenting this data that really are defensively, we've been the same over the last couple of seasons. It's really offensively where we've been struggling. And though most of the injuries have been defensively. Offensively, we can't score goals for, you know, to save our lives. Uh, we don't have a clear striker. Uh, some of our best talents are, are the younger guys who come off the bench, but you know, you know, having Birch Soller, no goals. Last year, DeSanto, no goals or one goal. Uh, it's just been a. Uh, I think his game plan, or the the thinking, is not correct. And, you know, the thinking the goalie's going to save everything, defense is going to save everything. No, it's we need to score goals. That's how you stay up in this league. And we struggled mightily in this, Jack. Uh, I mean, I don't know how. When was this? We talked about this during. I, I don't know if it was the end of season or when, but um, he's got this whole thing wrong uh, well, i had just been i i there's a twitter thread i think that's maybe what you were referencing with between me and i forget who i was talking to the other day basically the only argument i was trying to make was that uh wagner kept using the injuries as an excuse for the different performances and what i was trying to demonstrate was that the slide had started um well before like serdar and, and harit had um been unavailable um that, that's that's the point i was trying to make with that going back to the goalkeeper situation for a second um i think the other reason i'm a little bit hesitant about it and this is probably unfair on my part because uh the keeper in question has been very good statistically if a little bit under the radar um it, it just reeks to me of of 
a Benito Rama, a, a Mark Oot type move where like there's a player from a quote unquote, you know, lower, lower club that puts in a good season or two and suddenly we overpay and bring them in and they don't quite reach the level of performance that we expect. Um, and I mean, I, I understand there's financial realities in play, but it, it seems that like so often, you know, the bigger clubs are able to bring in talent from other leagues, like, and, and more promising. And it seems like we're always bringing in questionable players from teams within the league that are a little bit lower. And this, this six, how many of those actually stick and, and hit and, and turn into legitimately good squad players for a while? I just recently I've been sketched out by our transfer policy in that, in that regard. Yeah. And so I think maybe that's coloring my opinion on this more than it should, but I just, I'm uneasy about it, man. I, I don't know if that's the best use of our money. But, you know, if we end up selling a couple players, McKenny, Kabak, whoever, um, and suddenly we have an influx of cash and we can better afford that a little bit, then maybe it changes the picture to some extent. Marie, would you agree with that about, uh, you know, probably spending our money more wisely instead of, you know, trying to put it all in defensively or, or in the goaltender? I agree with Jack in the sense that, like, especially looking at other leagues, you know, those are signings that fans can get more excited about, especially when you bring in someone from, like, the French league or the Belgian league. Do you remember when we signed, I mean, Arit, how excited we all were, although we hardly knew anything about him. Yeah. And he didn't have very good statistics at the time, but we watched videos and it was more like, wow, this is someone that at the time, Christian Heidel kind of pulled out of a hat and everyone, you know, he was young and it's just, that's different to signing a guy from Freiburg. So I agree, but I think, I, I do think Schwalow is very good. Um, it's just, I, I'm kind of on the same page as Jack in the sense that like, why does this need to be a goalkeeper that we sign for that amount of money when we've got Fairman and Schubert who both have performed well in the past? They've also both not performed well in the past, but you could just put a bit of hope on those two guys and perhaps invest eight million in a central striker. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if you're, imagine that. <laughs> well, for those uh, listening on the show, uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Uh, first comment is uh, from Julia saying, What's your opinion on Nick Teitig? Uh, first off, we don't know how to, we're still trying to figure out how to say his last name. We, we saw many different ways. Weston tried to tell us one time. <laughs> Jack, uh, as a fellow American, uh, what can you, what, what is your opinion on him? I mean, he needs to, he needs to stay healthy consistently and, and get some opportunities in the first team before I yeah. think anyone can really have much of an opinion on him at all. Uh, in terms of his profile and his skill set, and this is this is a you know a wild comparison to make. I'm well aware of that in terms of what these players have actually accomplished Don't and, and, and their actual <laughs> skill level. But I feel like in terms of what he's able to do on the ball, he's probably the most close in terms of a profile to like Harit to some extent. He's that kind of like shiftier midfield player. Um, you know, I, I've liked what I've seen from him at the at you know the the youth level, but that's a massive jump to make. And until we start seeing something at all, you know, more tangibly on, on a first team level. I, I, I don't have a lot to say, but I, I like, I like him as a, as a person. He seems like he's a good kid and he's a, you know, funny guy and everything. And, and, and I, hopefully he can, he can stay healthy and get some momentum going in his career. Maria. I mean, I, we obviously are fans cause we're, we're Americans. He's from Virginia who lives, lived, or his family lives very close to me. Um, so we, we obviously like what we see from afar, but yeah, you're, you're a little bit closer to us. You probably get to see him a little bit more than we do. Um, what have you seen? What, what do you, what is your opinion of Nick Taitigu? It's a bit of a shame because I feel like due to all his injuries, he stalled a lot in his uh, development. And there was a time where he was ahead of someone like Kutuchu, for example, in his development. And he was closer to the first team. And the first time I watched him play was two or three years ago uh, when he first came to Schalke. And he was kind of one of Elgard's favorites. And um, 
it's it's just such a shame because he this that was one of the seasons where Schalke was playing in the semi-final for the German Cup and they I think they even made it to the final and then lost against Hertha and that was Hertha when they had you know like um, Maya and all those Hertha yeah. had a really good generation there and Taitegui was up there and he was very skillful and like Jack um, or I think I don't know if Jack or Richard said this but yeah he, he likes he, he is very skillful he can play out wide but he can also play in the middle behind um, so kind of like a number 10 role um, so these are exactly the type of players that we need some creativity and speed and skill unfortunately I think physically he's still very much a youth player and he could have used those two years to kind of shape up but because he was always injured yeah. it's um, and so I'm not sure if he can make that jump um, to a first-team player in the next season, but I, I certainly hope so. It would be really good to have him. Uh, I think Jack's 100% right, and both of you are right. Uh, he needs to stay healthy. Uh, that's been the big setback for him. Uh, you know, he would probably be you know, in the mix right now if he hadn't been injured so much, and uh, all those setbacks certainly did not help. And, you know, we hope that uh, he does, you know, find some consistency and gets an opportunity, you know, with the youth teams to really showcase his stuff and get a get a call up as Chan Bazdawan and Enko Tuchu and some of the other guys have this this past year. Um, <laughs> speaking of skill, a guy who has a lot of skill, um, Karsten Jan, he's one of them, uh, who, who just made a comment, but also uh, Ozan Kabak. And he says, uh, Karsten Jan says, uh, let's not sell Kabak. Pretty please. I mean, if, if we had our say, I think 100% I agree with you. He's, uh, he's He might be our most talented player. Just because the tackling this guy, he's he's a really good like throwback to like the classic defenders of even like Italian soccer, where like they slide tackle. Uh, he'll go up on the play as well. I mean, he does everything. It seems like uh, scores goals for us. I mean, uh, Marie. <laughs> it's a lot of rumors are saying that you know he's one of the names that we could possibly sell this off season. Um, but you would love to keep him, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think he's also a player that has um, good people around him and kind of has a clear career plan. I mean, there's a reason that why he went to Schalke and not to Bayern last summer. Uh, he could have gone to Bayern. They were interested. A lot of clubs were interested. I think Tottenham also at the time was interested. Apparently Tottenham is interested again now. Sure are, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's... I do think, you know, he already decided to join Schalke when Schalke wasn't looking its most beautiful royal blue. <laughs> um, and he still came. And I think... I think he would be okay with staying on another year. It's just a matter of if Schalke can say no, right? I think if a club now offers 30 million this summer, I do believe they'll sell him uh, just because central defense is a position where we do have good options, more so than in other parts of the squad. Um, but it would be a shame because he's so quickly kind of become a favorite and yeah. so good to watch him play. And sometimes... He's one of those players just, you know, when he runs from the front to the back and has one of his slide tackles and and then he runs to the front again and heads in a goal. You know, he's just, like you said, he's almost like a comic figure of like a traditional <laughs> defender. And though even just his build for someone of that age is incredible. And I think he's destined to go to the Premier League. I do see him going there. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird now with the transfer fees kind of, being lower than usual due to the coronavirus crisis but i believe that if even if a team like everton or spurs um bids 30 million or more this summer then i think um basically schalke needs the money and it's like either they cash in on him or weston mckinney is what i think it will come down to jack uh 
that, I think when we're saying it's 100%, you know, we probably should sell them. But, you know, with the market, supposedly, it's mostly the market, the money is supposed to be lower this year. But Kai Havertz is supposed to be going to Chelsea for like 100 million euros or something crazy. Who, who um, isn't going to Chelsea at this point? This honestly. is true. I mean, but, I mean so. Three, was, Chelsea, no, right, yeah. I mean, we, three of us might be going to Chelsea. Who knows? Just buying uh, the entire building. <laughs> buy everybody. Uh, but. You, t- there are teams that can still pay, spend some money. And I think we should, you know, try to squeeze as much. If we're going to sell him, I don't want to. I, he's, you know, him or, or any other, other talented players we have. But if we're going to sell him, try to squeeze it all the, all you can out of that, that lemon. And, you know, you maybe can get up to 80 million for him. Who knows? It depends if the right team comes calling. Um, you know, there's rumors, you know, Mourinho wants him and some other teams. So I think Tottenham, Tottenham have that money. They're, you know, they're, I'm sure they're going to want to get him cheap. Like they want to get Weston McKinney cheap. I mean, if we sell him 15 million euros, I'm going to, Punch somebody, Richard. Are you suggesting that that Schalke should try to come out favorably in a transfer deal? For once in my <laughs> life, this is yeah. just so off brand. I don't even know if we're capable of that. I mean, for once in my life, that's all I ask. I don't want to give away but, free. We're not going to worry about that. But. I mean, to, so to Karsten's point, obviously, no one wants to sell Kabak. I mean, yeah. I think he is very much on the list of people you absolutely do not want to sell. But at the same time, if we have to sell people, he's going to be one of the people that is going to attract you know, the highest sum and, and would be, you know, likely to move on. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think if we sell him, we need to get at least somewhere in the ballpark of like 30, 35 million for him. Hopefully um, the problem that we have is our financial issues are so public that it's very much created the buyer's market for yeah. any of our players, which is yeah. the opposite position that we'd like to be in given that we need money. So I'm not saying it's like a full on fire sale, but it's, it's kind of approaching that territory and it's going to be a, m- a lot harder for us to, to negotiate um, favorably when people know that we're desperate for cash as it is. And we wouldn't even be selling these players to begin with unless we absolutely needed to. So um, yeah, hopefully Kaba can stay. I was surprised to Marie's point that he came to Schalke in the first place because he was that um, highly sought after at the time. Um, and Schalke had just come off the back of, uh, a brutal stretch of the season. I didn't understand why he'd want to make the jump from, you know, relegated Stuttgart to borderline relegated <laughs> Schalke, but he, you know, but he did. And, and to Marie's point, it seems like he has good people around him and he's making decisions that are smart for his growth and for his career and not just like, Hey, Byron wants me. I'm going to go be a player for them and maybe that'll work out. Maybe they won't. Um, so I, 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 so I like that from him. And uh, you know, if, if he decides he wants to move on and, and Schalke need to sell him, I can't blame him for it. I wouldn't necessarily want to be here at the moment either um, given how <laughs> things are going, but, he is he is a fantastic player, and I, I think it's when Marie talked about you know some of, some of the moments that he comes up with in matches, uh, his kind of energy it almost reminds me of like Zayda a little bit before he went to Arsenal. He would come up with some of those big like physical plays that would really that didn't necessarily have the biggest effect on the match at the moment, but would really get the entire crowd and everything into yeah. it. It's kind of like the emotional yeah. um, engine of the team in, in in some regards. And those were always like high intensity plays that really seemed to like swing momentum and, and get people pumped up, which is valuable in and of itself. Um, but, you know, a guy that good defensively has the ability to, to take the ball forward and, 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 you know, beat a defensive line can contribute with goals on the offensive end around the box. I mean, definitely a multifaceted defender and, and somebody that I'd love to hold on to for, as long as we possibly can, but it looks like that might be coming to an end shortly. It's funny that the two players that probably uh, do bring the most out of the fans when, when they make big plays, uh, Kabak and McKinney are the ones that are, are so highly sought out. And, you know, if we do end up having this fire sale, like, you know, Jack and Maria are talking about, the, the question begs, are we going to be in a relegation fight next year? And, and you would think if we, if that does happen, that we do sell some players and, or, I mean, Harit or whoever, we're going to be in a relegation fight, uh, you know, based on what we had, the end of the season happen. Uh, I mean, 
what team are we going to see next year? Is it going to be the same that we saw at the end of the season or the team we saw in the first half? It's still to be determined. We don't have any money to improve the players that, that the Wagner wants. wants, wants. Um, so what are we going to see, Marie? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's difficult to tell, you know, with this season starting up. When is it starting up? September 21st or something like that? Um, there's still time, but I, I don't know. I, I think we're all just like, what are we going to see? We don't know. We, yeah, I think this will be one of those seasons where, again, we loan some players from La Liga or from the Premier League. Uh, probably Berg. someone who really score for their life, like Danny Ings or Daniel Sturridge. I can Danny picture. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Babel. <laughs> you know, actually, I was thinking about this. Um, what was his name again? The the English player, the he was also from South London, like Jaden Sancho, who was at Hoffenheim for a season. Um, oh. Also an attacking player. Oh, I yeah, can't yeah, think yeah. of his name oh, I now. I was even, about. He was really skillful. Yeah. Maybe if someone watching can write in the comments, but if we get someone like that, he's kind of stalled on his uh, development since he's been back at Arsenal. Um, just any, because we don't even have any wingers, really, do we? We've just got like no options. I mean, Matondo is basically our attacking, like tactical yeah. set, like look, set out since coronavirus was give the ball, like punch, like basically strike the ball down the line and have Matondo run after it. <laughs> I think we have to improve on that. Reece if we Nelson. want to score some goals. Reece Nelson, Julia says. Reece Nelson. Thank you. Julius, that's fun. Yeah, like, why not get someone like Reese Nelson? He knows the Bundesliga. He's young. He's not getting playing time at Arsenal. Um, that's someone who I'd really like to see. Um, and then we, I mean, the best we can hope for is that Mark Oud plays like he did at Cologne. But, you know, that's kind of what we're hoping for. It's just sometimes I really, I find it very depressing that, like, eight years ago, it was Jefferson Fafan, Draxler. Farfan's <laughs> still, I think, one of the more underrated players Absolutely. of the past Absolutely. like 10 years. Because he was Absolutely. he was class for a yeah. long time. Yeah. Other... I think that's, that's also the problem of like young fans not really remembering him. Because the fans who have been around for longer, I mean Fafan was like more important for us than Draxler or um or Sunny. Oh far, yeah. Oh yeah, 100 percent Yeah. Definitely. The other thing is given the financial situation that we're in, I, I wonder, and Marie, maybe have insight into this. It seems unlikely to me that let's just say we do sell Kabak and McKinney, for example, and we bring in somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50 million. This is optimistic. Uh, it, it seems unlikely that all of that 50 million is actually going to be reinvested into the squad in terms of team building. So like, because right. we need money in general. So we're going to be using some of that to help the club out of its financial situation. It's not like we're just going to turn that over and, and, and translate that into depth. So basically all we're going to be doing is getting rid of you know, an excellent player for some amount of money and then spending half that, a quarter of that to bring in somebody, you know, presumably worse. It, <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, that's just the situation we're in. So like, I understand yeah. it, but unless, unless we pull off some sort of miracle in terms of the players we bring in and just make a number of smart signings that, you know, outperform what their expectations would be. Uh, yeah. We could be in trouble next season. I mean, I predicted preseason this year that we would finish, around mid table. I think we finished like a spot or two worse than I thought we would. Yeah. Um, but that was based on looking at the squad and saying, I don't think the squad is good enough to compete for the champions league. Um, various times this season, it looked like it, it might kind of be on the cusp of that, but ultimately, you know, we saw that fall apart in the second half. I don't think the squad's going to be any better. Certainly at, at best, it's going to be close to the same. And 
that basically says, all right, David Wagner, do something. And I don't think we've seen enough in the year that we've had so far to suggest that, you know, with a similar or worse squad, his results are suddenly going to get better when he's been talking, you know, about how he needs players. So, um, yeah, I'm not super optimistic for next season and, and, you know, relegation. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be a fear monger and start talking. And I'm always trying to push back against that talk as much as possible. But if we finish mid table this year with this squad and we're going to get possibly worse, could be getting closer to that. So, I mean, hopefully that's not the case that we can kind of use this season as, as a big rebuilding and transitional season, get our finances back on track, hopefully kind of stay in a similar position in the table and then use that as a springboard to, to grow going forward. But um, this upcoming season is going to be maybe the most crucial we've had in, in a very, very long time. If nothing else, I hope we stay healthier. Um, you yeah. know, we, we, we have changed that department, so there, hopefully that'll change. We've had way too many injuries, and that doesn't help matters. Would we have had the, the, the same results? Who knows? But uh, I'd rather have all our players there, and at least if we lose them, we know where the real problems are. Um, and we have no excuses now saying, oh, people were injured. But, you know, having healthy bodies, I think, is, is important, especially, you know, having that rotation and stuff like that. You know, playing Ochipka every freaking game is, is, is not feasible. Uh, so... Uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you think, Marie? I agree with both those points. The only, the, the two positives that I would draw on that might suggest that the season would be better next year would be A, yeah, if the squad stays healthier, because that's something that immediately we kind of forget after the season's closed, but we did have the most injury problems, just only Werder Bremen had worse problems, and we know how that ended for them. Um, so I think having even someone like Mascarel, um, Stambouli, some people like that on the pitch who can lead a team when they go one down. We, I don't think we had any games where we went down to the opposition and then turned the game around. It's usually like you can see the goal. Okay, you might as well switch off the TV, you know? Augsburg. And I was going to say, one. Augsburg was the only one, I think. Yeah, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah, uh, that was before the break. Yeah, uh, very true. But remember how many games we used to have like uh, like that under Tedesco in the first yeah. season of how many times they turned it around then. And we need to get back to that kind of um, mentality. And it's not always mentality, but also that that degree of in-game coaching that you can turn things around when things go bad. And you can only achieve that degree when you have more options on the bench. And I think, yeah, I mean, look at our midfield. If everyone's fit, then, you know, you've got Mascarel, Siada, Aritz, McKenny. Our, um, our team is entirely midfield. That's the problem. <laughs> we yeah, need, yeah. Like, we need some fullbacks and we need some attacking players. I mean, like, we're putting Bujaleb in, like, a striking partnership up top. We're doing some wild things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about someone like Kalijuri just kind of leaving because um, I think it's hard to have, find players that reliable uh, for the money, which we no longer have. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, injuries to me could be a positive. And then, of course, the Knappenschmiede. And just, I don't think that we'll see that this season. But suddenly, Norbert Elgat, he's demanded this for years, the under-19 coach, that more money gets spent on young players. Um, and suddenly, the guys at the top are saying, yeah, we'll give that to you, Reschke. Um, and Schneider. And suddenly, he's getting the support from the leadership. Um, even this kid that they brought in, the goalkeeper from England, um, yeah, yeah. Rose. I mean, I've read such great things about him and also like what a big personality he is and how he basically called uh, the management in German and said he wants to come. And, um, you know, he's 16. So who knows when he, he might become an option for the first team, but he's seen as a, as a big hopeful. And when you bring in guys like that, um, I think that's the way forward. And, of course, that's a long-term 
you know, long-term planning. Uh, but that's really all we can do right now is bring in players young and, and hope that they develop like we want them to. I'm not surprised the board was so hesitant to provide additional funding to the youth setup. Um, it's not like Norbert has a, you know, a proven track record of developing young <laughs> talent or anything like that. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's funny. The, the only problem, and I, and I agree with Julius where he says the problem is that players like Nelson are very expensive because of the premier league and stuff like that. Um, and it could probably cost us 15 million euros and stuff like that. So, I agree with that, and 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 I, and I think I like uh, Carson's uh, comment. He says, you know, he agrees with Jack. I said, give me a couple of weeks, and I'm convinced Shaco will end up as champions. He's not the only one. I think I picked. Yeah, him that's as you, champion. Richard, predicting uh, us to win the league this season. Yeah, okay, so, bud. So Carson and I, we're we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pick him as champions next year. So, um, anything else you want to end the season with uh, before I get to the questions, listener questions? It was, uh, nobody wants to remember that. We, this is, I mean, I think we've already addressed like half the listener questions anyway, just by some of this. Let's try to, let's try to get through those and then let's get to the uh, end of season awards and stuff. All right. Uh, let's see here. We were talking about McKinney. He should be going for more than 15 million euros. I agree with that. We talked about that. Uh, relegation we talked about. Um, where does the club take a forward step? We kind of did talk about that. You know, We have to rely on the Kanap and Shemitah, uh and really working on loan moves and try to build with what we got. Hopefully the guys can stay, keep from getting injured. Um, what's our benchmark for next year in terms of points? Uh, is 40 points a good benchmark or would you expect more? <laughs> I think if we get 40, I'll be happy. <laughs> Ray, what do you think? Yeah. Really difficult. I think points is also, we usually like there's this rule in the Bundesliga that 40 points is enough to Safety. stay in the But in the past few seasons, you only needed like 30 points or 33 points or so to yeah. stay in the league. So it's it's hard to to set like a, a point target because it's just the seasons play out so differently. Um, I It's just, yeah, I think it's just hard, right? It's just we, we want to stay in but also not have to stress about staying in. Um, so I don't think the target being a certain number of points is ideal. I would say it's better to aim for a position. Perhaps I think it would be really brave because it's not necessarily realistic, but it would be a good goal, aim to say, um, let's finish on a single digit position. So basically aim to come in ninth. I think that for me would be something I would sign because it's ambitious, but it's not unrealistic if things go smoothly. Yeah. Um, I think I would prefer that as a target. Oh, would you say the same thing, Jack? I definitely agree with Marie in terms of what a certain number of points means can can be different season to season. Um, what did we finish with this season? Like 39? It was, right, it was right around there. So, I mean, like, if we were to get a similar number of points, I would probably be fine with that just because I don't expect us at this point in time to be an improved squad, at least in terms of, of talent. So if we were able to maintain that and not, you know, be in danger of, of going down or really, you know, under that kind of stress for most of the season, I'd probably be fine with it as long as we're able to improve our financial situation and build off of it. Um, if we were able to finish top 10, I mean, I would be thrilled with that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that being um, a desirable table position. It's just, I, I don't know whether or not I believe that's going to happen. Yeah, because because I think I predicted us to be a little bit lower than that this season anyway, and and once again, as I've already said, I I just don't know how the squad's going to compare to this season's squad. And Jack, you were spot on. We were thirty nine points this year, so okay. uh, you saw where that got us. Uh, do you think there'll be another Corona break next season? We don't know. It's uh, U.S. is going through kind of a second wave here. Well, at least the Southern states are now. U.S. is still in the first wave, man. We haven't done yeah, anything. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Like, yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know. It's it, the, nobody knows, and I mean, 
you know, the World Cup is still slated to go when it's, I think, a year later, 2022, right? Um, Euros are next year. It's too early to tell. I mean, if, if the thing was dying down right now, like all over the world, we'd say, yeah, they, I think we're going to clear. But I don't know if we're going to be done the first wave. And, you know, we're starting to see signs of a second wave going around possibly. It hasn't happened in Europe yet that I know of. Uh, Marie would probably know that better than I would. But uh, that's too early to tell. I mean, I, I don't know. It's uh, I'm so skeptical that they're going to bring fans to the to the fan, to the to the crowd or to the games. I know they're starting to Bundesliga just came out with the their plan for the fans in the crowd, but I, I don't know. It's too early to tell. Marie, what do you, you you how's it doing over there in Europe? Yeah, it's going pretty well. I think a few weeks ago, everyone in Germany was kind of looking at Tönnies and thought that <laughs> the former Schalke president might be the one sparking the second wave in Germany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, as if there weren't enough bad news already. <laughs> um, you know, throw in some illegal labor and bad working position, uh, conditions uh, for Romanian guest workers. And you have it. Um, but yeah, I think there's no point speculating. If anything, at the moment, the tide is turning the other direction, like Richard said, um, of all the clubs saying, okay, next season we're hoping. I think it's for all of the uh, stadiums, it's about, it's between a third and a quarter of usual capacity. Yeah is what they're going with and i think that I, I do expect that to happen if it stays at the current levels uh, the infection rates in germany because they're quite low um but yeah I'm, I'm really no expert so i can't really comment on the the potential of the second wave and what it could mean for german football yeah and really seems to be germany's leading the way in terms of everything in terms of bringing the sport back bringing fans back we'll see how uh uh, what happens there with Bundesliga? I think that would be the best example of trying to uh, trying to figure out a game plan and you know, based off of that, you know, develop a plan for your own countries. Um, I, I guess we get into the wars because uh, I mean, I don't know if we want to. There's not many going to be good options. Uh, let's get right into it. best signing. I mean, did we have the signing? John Joe Kenny is alone. Is a signing, right? I mean, I went with I went with Ozan Kabak on that one um, personally. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I don't feel like we really brought in that many players permanently this right. past offseason anyway, and I think he was clearing away the uh, the most influential. Yeah. What about you, Marie? Yeah, tough one, because I, I think Kavak is the clear winner, but I, I did really like John Joe Kenny just because I think he fit the club really well. And it's such a shame. I think in, if we had been in better financial and economic, uh, in a better position, then I think he could have been swayed to stay. And um, it's just such a shame to to lose out on talent like that and on such a personality. Uh, but yeah, in terms of quality, to me, it's gotta it's gotta be Ozan Kabak. Yeah, that's uh, it's hard it's hard to pick one. But I think those two new players are, are probably the ones to go with. Um, <laughs> difficult one is best match. Uh, the ones that jump out at me are probably you know Augsburg or Hertha, but I'm probably gonna go with Gladbach for me. Just a two nothing win there. It gave us so much hope, and then it all went away. <laughs> Jack, what's your best match Jack? yeah so i feel like we do this every time uh where we like potentially have different interpretations of different things i think like this comes up every season when we have this thing yeah so, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah the way i interpreted best match which just to me was like most exciting match overall uh i went with augsburg um i think maybe you could do honorable mention for like the dusseldorf match or the dfp pokal against uh, later in the season um that went to extra time but uh yeah the augsburg match i think it was daniel Bayer went up initially naturally it was Daniel Byer that scored against us. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 
Licksteiner own goal, which is when I first discovered that Licksteiner was on Augsburg. I had missed that news apparently. So I was watching that game and I was like, is that Stefan Licksteiner? Like, what is he doing? Um, yeah. But that was off the Calajuri uh, set piece delivery. I think it's actually, that was actually an important game for Daniel Calajuri yeah. uh, because he had, I don't know if he got an assist for that Licksteiner own goal. I'm assuming not, but like he had one to Kabak later and Calajuri had a kind of a poor start to the season. And that I think was one of the first games where we really saw um, some of the qualities that we expect from him in terms of that, like set piece delivery and everything. Um, and then uh, I believe Finn Bogason scored a penalty. I forget how that penalty came about, but Augsburg was up uh, two to one and keep in mind, this was supposed to be, I'm all over the place right now. I apologize. This was supposed to be, I think the debut of the Sané uh, Kabak partnership in center defense. Yeah, and then we Salif were. Sané went down nine minutes into the match a week after Stambouli had gotten injured in the Revere Derby against Dortmund. And so I think it was maybe McKenney that slid back into center back. So the whole game was just like all over the place from the beginning. Uh, Kabak ends up getting a, a great goal on a, on a set piece. And then uh, Amin Harit with, you know, fantastic individual goal dribbling around multiple defenders to, to, to ice this game, you know, late was, uh, was, was a pretty special moment. How about you? How about you for you, Marie? Well, for me, it's hands down first half of the season away um, at Leipzig. Yeah, that's a good uh, win. Well, that was such a good game, and it, that was really like the young team at its best, really confident. That that kind of like spirit and confidence and like swagger, which they were so awfully missing <laughs> um, later on in in the year, and. Yeah, I think um, even just the the goal, the kind of partnership between Kutuchu and uh, Matondo for that one goal, where Matondo really like dribbled a long way, and and also Arit played really well in that match, also scored, I think. And generally, I think that was a really well played uh, match, and also a match that we didn't expect because this was uh, remember when Leipzig uh, were really really good, they kind of came guns blazing into the season and I think a week prior they had drawn uh, one all against Bayern Munich and no one really expected anything of Schalke away there and this was just kind of um, an exclamation mark so to speak for from this team um, so for me that, that was kind of a highlight of the season. This is going to be a long one too. Oh, you know, and go back just to the best matches. Uh, any any game that Harit ended the game with a winner. Uh, the, at the beginning of the season, he had a bunch of them. We're like, oh, this right. is amazing, you know. And then we it was great to feel like that for just for a little bit. Uh, but going to now a topic that we probably have a lot to choose from. Most most disappointing game. Um, I know the ones a couple that stick out for me. Uh, the Cologne match, uh, losing three nothing just for the Bayern game after we got slaughtered by RB Leipzig. Um, and then uh, also Augsburg losing them three nothing after getting destroyed by Dortmund after the restart. Um, those are two that stuck out for me. I, I know I had hopes that we would rebound, and they kind of just signaled gloom and doom for the for the second half of the season. Uh, Maria, I'll go to you. What, what was the most disappointing match for you? Yeah, hard pickings. Um, <laughs> yeah. For me, probably against uh, Werder Bremen, which I think was in May, late May or early June, and that was a match where because. Suddenly, of course, with these empty stadiums, you could watch and hear everything. And I remember even early on, Bremen, you know, they were battling for their lives and you could hear the bench. They were jumping up and down, really cheering each other on. And Schalke, they just looked so cowardly on the pitch, off the pitch. And it really bothered me. Just, you know, it just really made me sad because it's such a historic club and you just really got the sense that no one really wanted to be there. And that was really frustrating as a supporter to to watch what was going on and just... 
everyone was like, you know, it just seemed like they'd rather be at home on the couch. And there's just so little effort, so little like physical drive in that match that that to me kind of stuck out in a negative manner. How about you, Jack? So I feel like I may get some eye rolls from both of you on this one, but I, to me, I have to go with the, the five out of Bayern um, in the, in the second half of the season. And I understand that we're supposed to, we're supposed to lose these games to Bayern. We're not, we're not there yet. Like I get that. And so maybe that requires a little bit of a paradigm shift on my part or some of the Schalke fans that still get disappointed that losing some of those matches, maybe we need to get over that. But I guess the reason it was, it was like it was like psychologically dam- damaging. I feel like to the team and, and to like the fan base because first half of the season had gone so well, better than I expected it to certainly. Yeah. And then we had just started the Rukrenda with that dominant performance against Gladbach, and so we're like, all right, here we go. Like we're we're kind of we're kind of in the hunt. You know, we lost three zero to Bayern first half of the season, but I thought that performance was actually pretty good, and we should have got some penalties. And you know, like I, I was like, okay, that's a performance that we can build off of. Like second half of that game, I thought we were pretty solid and maybe had the better opportunities and everything. And so then we go into this game and it just get obliterated, and it's a horrible performance. I mean, they actually didn't even go two 0 up. I think right till stoppage time at the end of the first half, so we were actually kind of in it for a while, yeah. but probably shouldn't have been because they missed some opportunities and everything. And so I was also in St. Louis for that game. Anytime I travel to go to a watch party, we just get destroyed. So that's part of the problem too. <laughs> I was at Amsterdam Tavern in St. Louis, but yeah, just losing that game five nil and then being like, "Oh, we're still Schalke. We're still not anywhere near that." And it's the same old, same old. And then I just feel like from there, the season just fell apart. I'm not blaming that game for it specifically, but there was the goalkeeper issues that was, I mean, there was just that game to me was just like, oh man, we're back to where we kind of have been for a while. Like there's no, there's no next step forward, even if it was like another loss, but a better performance, but it was just, it was so bad. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'll try to skip through some of these just to save some time, but uh, best performance we kind of already went through with uh, best match. Best goal. Uh, there's some good ones out there. There was uh, a couple, uh, several by Harit. There's John Joe Kenny. There was uh, Benito yeah. Rahman. Katucho, um, I think, had one as well. What are your What are your best goals? I'll start with Jack this time. Jack, what's your best goal? That yeah, year? so mine is definitely uh, Harit's goal, match day five against Mainz, the 2-1. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. hadn't played particularly well in that game, um, although Harit, was a good all game. He had that assist to Suat Serdar, I believe, in the first half, which is a really well worked goal and a nice finish from Suat Serdar. But um, definitely got the impression that's a team that we should have put away at that point in the season with how we were playing, and we just couldn't quite get there. And Harit finally picks up the ball, kind of like outside the box top. I think it was Onisiwo that he he kind of dribbles around and then I believe so. Yeah, yeah, like outside of his right foot, curling back post through traffic. I mean, he just. I don't know what the XG on that shot was, but it wasn't high. And just, I mean, that's that's the kind of form that he was in at that point in the season where Harit was looking like... the angle well, behind him was brilliant. It was just oh, yeah. the curve. Oh. Yeah. But I mean, at that point in the season, Schalke were playing well and Harit looked like he was one of the better players in the league. And it was just kind of like everything that we were hoping for to some extent, you know, with, with like an X-factor player finally making a difference. Yeah, that was an amazing goal. Marie, how about you? Oh, so, I mean, to me, it's just such a no- no-brainer. Like, definitely that goal against Mainz. And or the outside of the boot and it was just oh. I mean how long had we waited for like some magic like that from this team and of course it was Arid you know he just yeah the way he is with the ball he just moves and looks the part and it had to be him and it had to be late in the match and everything fit and this is a goal which deserves to be in those like trashy YouTube compilations for players or goals. And, you know, it deserves to be that kind of like dramatic with, with bad techno music. Yeah, like, sounds like all the videos I make. 
<laughs> yeah, no, that, that was a that was a that was a great goal. That's probably that's probably my favorite goal too. I'd give an honorable mention to uh Benito Rama on match day yes. 13 against Union Berlin that volley. Oh my god. Um and that yeah. I think that was kind of the moment where he sort of announced his arrival because yeah. he had struggled early in the season too, I felt like to kind of find his place. And then that was like, all right, I'm here. Um <laughs> and then and then as you said, a couple of the John Joe Kenny strikes were yeah. were thunderbolts as well. And that was his, I think his first goal, and then he kind of got in a hot streak, and then the coronavirus break happened. Uh, so he was like, he was, he was, he caught on fire at the wrong time, I guess. Uh, and unfortunately, oh, the break came at the wrong time for him. And uh, that was a great, that was a great goal. But I think that Harry one was just so technically beautiful. I mean, how could you not pick it? I think overwhelmingly we all picked that. So uh, let's see here. Um, comeback player of the year. I mean, eh, Harit. Yeah. Most Given improved. how out out in the wilderness he was, and then to come back and have that kind of performance. Best creative player is probably Harit too, right? So what Sarah is a very close one, I think. Uh, super sub. Katuchu, I guess. Katuchu, baby. It's got to be Katuchu. We got to have Katuchu on the podcast. So, <laughs> hey. like, how how often did we demand he play from the beginning? And then he had a few chance, and it was like, no, back on the bench, please. Yeah, come back as a sub. No. <laughs> well, that, that's what that's what annoyed me so much is we we literally waited. I think it was until that Leverkusen game late in the season for him to get his first start, and then he didn't have like the biggest impact in that game. Everyone was like, see, and I'm like, you've given him one start. After like, the restart, after the Guido, restart, Guido Bergstaller had the highest XG of any Schalke player this entire season and had zero goals. <laughs> like Katushu had three goals and three assists off the bench, mostly in yeah. Cameo. I mean, like, come on, like, give yeah. the give the kid a. F- and once again, I'm not saying that he's the solution to everything and that he's, you know, the second coming, but like, at least give the guy a little bit more of an opportunity. Uh, biggest surprise. What's the biggest surprise this year? That can go many ways. It could be good or be bad. This is. The- oh, you go ahead, Jack. I'm gonna say how how shit we were after Gladbach. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna come out today because I I had all this freaking hope, and then we just part of my French Marie, but shit the bed, and we just looked so terrible. I'm like, what the heck is this? I'm like, Richard's biggest surprise is that we didn't win the league, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Carson too, probably Carson too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but Marie, go ahead. I mean, to me, I think the biggest surprise was how poorly Alexander Nübel performed pretty much all season. And I, yeah. I saw him play a bit last season. And I know early on you guys said he was shaky last season, but he also had, he kind of saved our ass a lot as well in the spring. He had some big reaction saves, yeah. Yeah, he had some very good reaction. He, he wasn't as strong a physical presence as Fairman was at his peak, but you know, you can't really expect that from someone that's so young. But for example, I saw him in one of his first matches at away to Galatasaray and he was just incredible in front of a very high pressured crowd. So that was like late 2018. Um, and, you know, I, I also experienced him a few times in the mixed zone and he's very mature for his age and he dealt, he was very polite and well-mannered and just a very likable person. And then, I mean, it was all a bit too much and too early, but given how, how much, you know, how much praise was heaped upon him and, oh, here's uh, Manuel Neuer's long-term successor in the national team and at Bayern Munich. And then he was really one of the worst Bundesliga keepers, like in terms of performance, wasn't he? If, if we're yeah. honest, like this is, I'm not being unkind. Like I said, I think he's a likable kid and he's got, he's good on, on the line. He's had some good saves, but even in the first half of the season when, People weren't as critical of him yet. You know, that that blunder against Leipzig uh, when they won 3-1 and we conceded because of a mistake he made. And then the second half of the season, it was just awful. So I think that to me was a surprise, just how shaky he was all season. Yeah, uh, you know, my, my favorite goalkeeping stat, of course, 
uh, post shot XG minus goals allowed. The uh, the, the crazy the crazy goalkeeping stat. But uh, Alexander Nubel, twenty uh, sixth in the Bundesliga among qualified goalkeepers this season. In that statistic, uh, Marcus Schubert eleventh. Um, which obviously just one one stat, but basically that that's basically a purely like shot stopping statistic. Yeah, and uh, Nubel wasn't great in it, and he also had a, like a pretty poor save percentage. And you know, there's a number of situations in which he wasn't the best. My biggest surprise is probably kind of a cheap one based on sample size, because I think the ones that you mentioned are probably the larger overarching stories. Uh, but my cheap late season biggest surprise was uh, Chen Bazduan and how. Yeah. Uh, he just looked like he belonged instantly. I felt like, uh, and usually for like a young player, especially in that kind of midfield role, it, it can take some time to kind of get oriented or whatever. And I was very impressed with him right when he came in and he seems like a classy player and, um, instantly looked like one of the more comfortable, uh, people in possession for us on the entire field. So I'm very excited to see what he has to offer going forward. And as, as we've mentioned, it could be a heavy, uh, a season next year that we may have to rely on a lot of those players. So good that he got some minutes at the end of the year to kind of get integrated instead of being, you know, thrown right in at the start of next season. And I think a pleasant surprise also was that we had to see so many youngsters in that one game and they looked, yeah. they looked like they had more drive in that game, more passion than, than the regular starters. So that, that was a little surprise there at the end of the game. So, um, I don't want to get into best starting 11, but, um, player of the year, let's end it on player of the year. Um, it's difficult because we had such a tough, tough year. I know we all want to say Berksteller, uh, but let's, let's put that aside there. Um, <laughs> Player of the year. That's that's difficult. Uh, Jack, what you got? Harid or Kabak, probably, depending on whether or not you want to go offensive or defensive. Um, I mean, you know, Mascarell, Serdar are kind of in the mix as well. Um, I mean, even if you wanted to, give, I mean, even if you wanted to give like a lot, like you know, a, a, it was a it was a season where some of our better players had injury troubles. So like, yeah, if you want to go for the guys that were there in and out every game, then you'd be looking at like Ochipka or McKenny maybe. Um, but uh, I can't say that because people are going to be upset about that one if I drop the uh, the McKenny out here. But uh, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I'd probably go Osan Kalbach or, 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 or Mean Harit. Okay. Marie, what about you? For me, it's Suat Seada or Arit, just because I think when they're on the pitch, they really do the most to lift the overall quality of the team. Yeah. Especially when they're both playing, which unfortunately we didn't really see after the Christmas break. Um, so for me... Honestly, I think on balance, I got to say Seada because he did perform well in those early matches. I mean, he was sensational against Gladbach and then, of course, he got injured. But I, I do think maybe he has the potential to be a consistently good player, um, not just a player who sometimes shows up. But uh, And I also think maybe it's kind of a blessing for us that he didn't play since the Corona break because he's kind of gone off the radar um, of a lot of bigger teams. But yeah. there are some, some... All part of the plan. <laughs> yeah, so, no, I, I do think we'll probably go into the next season with him. And that is really good <laughs> for this team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. people are going to be sending us like transfer inquiries. They'll be like, Where, how about how about Harit? And we're like, who? Yeah, yeah sorry. I haven't heard of him. Don't know who that is. Never heard of him. No player here by that name. Uh, I think my player of the year is, is probably going to be Katuchi. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um, I, Harit seems like the no-brainer for me, but I think I'm going to actually go with Suat Serdar because there was a time when it was just Harit and we were wondering if he was going to have a partner to you know, help him get along because he can't do it himself. And Suat Serdar really stepped up and and he, pro- he proved to be a good, uh, good running mate with him. Uh, I think he ended up having maybe just one more goal than Harit, or they're they're around the same, around same around assists as well too. And I agree with both of them in there. The team is so much better, and you know, uh, 
hopefully both of them will remain, you know, in the season we can use them to a great advantage. I feel like this was a season where there's a lot of midfield players that really stepped up. I mean, Harit had the resurgence, obviously. We, we knew what he was capable of. We had the of, most he depth would, in the midfield, for sure. Yeah, but he, he came back into the squad and was fantastic. Serdar really stepped up and, and hit that next level that I think we were looking for him more consistently. Uh, Mascarella, I even thought, was, was much improved and really became – um, an important fixture at the base of that midfield for us. And then even even Weston McKinney, I thought, particularly obviously late in the season, but I, I thought he he improved as well. So I thought there was a number of players, you know, in this in the central part of the field for us that really I mean if we if we didn't have those guys, we would have been like lost all season. They were huge for us. Oh I, I agree about that hundred percent. Um yeah. Uh I said we just wrapped it wrap it up here. It's, uh, we've been going for over an hour here. Look at this. Who knew we could talk this much about Shaka, huh? Welcome. <laughs> hey, Chris. Welcome. I'm glad you caught the end of the show, Chris. <laughs> hey, late is better than ever, right? Uh, if you haven't done so yet, uh, make sure you sign up for the Shaka U.S. newsletter. Simply just put, type in your email. You'll get the updates every month. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out to Shaka Daily. They put out some great content daily uh, for Shaka, and they're really keeping people in the loop. Uh, so uh, definitely give them a follow. Uh, on that note, let's uh, tune in each week once the season restarts. We'll, you know, if something big happens during a during a break here, we'll we'll jump in. But uh, we'll probably start back up here at the start of the season. Uh, so tune in each week. Uh, we'll bring you the latest from the Royal Blues. We want to thank Schalke, uh, all our listeners for the questions and for writing tidbits on our podcast today. Um, any topics you want to discuss? Uh, just send them over to us at Schalke America. Uh, Marie, uh, this is your time here. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please plug away anything you wanna you wanna share, let people know about, and um, where can we find you? Yeah, uh, thanks for listening to everyone. You can follow me on Twitter at Marie Shubo, which is the same uh, spelling as you can see right now on your screen. <laughs> <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> and incidentally, I'm also moving back to the U.S. Um, in August, uh, moving to New York for my ah month. nearby. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'll be in the same time zone as some of uh, your listeners, hopefully. So, yeah, if you have any questions or queries or just want to talk about Schalke, then feel free to write to me on Twitter. Wonderful. Hey, that's good news. Uh, easier to get a hold of you now. <laughs> it's good or bad. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, <laughs> we also want to give a shout out to our good friends of the show, NBC4 Nashville. We couldn't do it without their support. Jack, uh, where can our followers find you on social media? at jm mangan j-m-m-a-n-g-a-n on twitter uh yeah marie you shouldn't have told us about the time zone change because now we're going to hit you up more often to come <laughs> to but 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 thank you as always for for dealing with uh multiple us. reschedules on our part <laughs> and uh you know slumming it with us here on the podcast richard and i our form is temporary but marie's class is permanent and uh, anytime she comes on definitely raises the uh, the quality of the podcast so thank you again for Absolutely. joining us uh Absolutely. Yeah, and thank you to all of our listeners uh, this season. It seems like you know the uh, the Schalke community, both on Twitter and around the podcast specifically, continues to grow, and that's that's awesome to see how many new faces and names we see popping up involved in the conversation on a weekly basis. Uh, we love that, and uh, thanks for everyone's support as always. And Carson just chipping in again. We appreciate the content that Carson puts out, and uh, thanks Absolutely. for listening, everybody. Give him a follow, one hundred percent. And yeah, if, you know. Why, why, why wouldn't we plug our own merchandise, right? Uh, we do have a, a, a Shock America store, so uh, check out our profile. We'll tweet it out, I'm sure, uh, even more. Um, get out get some content, you know, some free Katuchu content, uh, some Shock America hoodies. It's awesome. More stuff will come. So anyway, it's just the beginning. Thank you. Uh, we are done. That's the season review. A long season. I'm, it's, I'm glad it's over. 
we need a break. Uh, as always, you can follow me at r underscore k h a r m a n on the Twitter sphere. And till the next pod comes, my friends, stay ready. We'll be with you soon. Shoes.